words of the Bible are given to us by God for our flourishing. Each week we read the Bible out loud and listen to the words of the Bible preached as an act of worship and devotion. Today I will be reading from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 20 through 22, through, four, through chapter 4, verse 1. So, chapter 3, 22, and then chapter 4, verse 1. After the scripture reading, I will proclaim, this is the word of the Lord, and I would invite you to respond prayerfully. Speak, Lord, your servants here. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Colossians 3, 22 through 4, 1. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Taproot. So my name's Jim, I'm one of the pastors here. So many of you know me, I'm um, a bit of a handyman, I can do a lot of stuff. And several years ago I was, um, well we discovered that the, there's apparently some blockage in the drain from our sink. And so I decided I'm going to go fix this, I'm going to go open up the drain downstairs in the, in, the, in, the, in the plumbing and find out where this plug is. So I told Janice, don't use the sink. Now, um, so I go downstairs, and I undo this plug, and I'm looking into this pipe. And, okay, see, my understanding of plumbing is, my, my, my knowledge of plumbing is at this level, hers was not. And so she was preparing something to eat, and uh, opened a can of pineapples and poured the juice into the sink. So, it, in a way it helped, I discovered very quickly that wherever that plug was, it was not between the sink and where I was looking into this pipe. So, I had a face full of sticky yellow fluid. See, I had failed in my instruction her to take into account that I knew what plumbing was, but she just assumed I meant don't turn on the faucet. <clears throat> Bit of a disparity. So, um, but to catch us up with where we are, uh, we're in the book of Colossians. The book was written to believers instructing them how to seek and set their minds on Jesus Christ. And chapter three, which is where we are now, gives some practical help on how to do that. It tells us to put off the earthly things, namely uh, sins or vices, and instead replace that with putting on the character of Jesus, or what we call virtues. Now, last week if you're here, Glenn gave a very helpful illustration 
of what the word submission means in the context of marriage. If you haven't heard that, uh, go listen to it online. Submission comes from humility, not from authority. Now, the same is true in this passage about our relationships with those that manage our work, regardless of whether that is paid work or, or not paid. Now, today, when I use the term work, I mean more than just earning a paycheck. Now, today's passage does apply to the modern office, but that's not, it's not limited to that. Work includes unpaid efforts done by volunteers, parents, citizens, and neighbors. Work in this sense even includes resting. I'm also going to give a simplistic overview of the Bible um, to, um, <clears throat> to show how today's passage fits into that overall narrative. And I do mean it's simplistic. So if we start in Genesis, we see that the first act of work recorded was to create the universe, the sun, the moon, plants and animals, and finally humans. During creation, God worked to push back the chaos and create space for humans to flourish. We see this because he, he separated darkness from light, he separated the... Um, earth from the sky, and he separated the waters from the dry land. This pushing back of the chaos is done by putting things in order and putting things where they needed to be. Uh, you can think of it as divine creativity working as an administrator. It was through Jesus that this work was done. The creativity, the inspiration, the design, the inventiveness, the energy, and even the submission uh, to do this work flowed out of who Jesus is. He was serving alongside with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. This, uh, the created world brought God glory or fame and it gave him pleasure and it was an example to all the other created beings in the universe to show who this God is, at least in the area of, of work. Now we also see in Genesis that humans were also created, were, 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 sorry, were first created and then were invited to work with God alongside of him. Humans were to help cultivate the garden where God dwelled by pushing back the chaos that plants and animals can bring. You know, if you own, if you, if you own land with dirt and you have plants, you know what untended plants can do in this, in this climate. We were, to, we were also to know and to govern the animals. We were deemed worthy to walk, work alongside God. We were also invited to rest when God rested. Now, working is the utilization of time, talent, and energy that the Lord has provided us to, um, and he's provided those as resources to us, uh, to perform some task that brings him glory or fame. Working with God brought, working brought God pleasure, and in doing so, it brought humans pleasure. Behavior was, um, because we were doing what we were both designed to do, and we were enjoying it with him. 
So that's how it was all set up. But when we were created, we were given some of that creative abilities as well. We, 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 we call this the um, part of being made in God's image. Um, we have some of his characteristics, and working is part of that. We were created to serve God much like, much like Jesus did. Now, this creative ability also gave us a vulnerability. We can serve and glorify and give pleasure to just ourselves alone, independently from God. We have that capability. <clears throat> now, Adam and Eve were deceived in thinking that, that they lacked something in them. They were somehow not fully worthy of working alongside God. They didn't know some things. That's what they were told. <clears throat> they were also deceived into thinking that a little self-improvement program done independently would fix what they lacked. They worked on themselves to meet their own perceived needs alone, without the Lord. This is how Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. They falsely believed that they could become more like God by serving themselves. Uh, they decided to use their God-given abilities <clears throat> in direct disobedience to what God had instructed them to do. As a result, they corrupted work for all of us. It became necessary to work now in order to eat. This not only corrupted work, this sin left our world broken, hurting, hopeless. It introduced, it introduced death, destruction, sickness, ugliness, poverty, divisions, war, shame, and guilt to humanity. Sin brought chaos into the entire human race. We became the chaos. So that's Genesis 1 to 3, chapter 1 to chapter 3. From there to the end of the Old Testament, uh, we see that the Lord is beginning to reconcile his people back, to bring back his fallen creation. The Lord was pushing back on the chaos that was now in humanity, in humans. Now, in broad terms, this period of history shows that the Lord still loved and cared for his creation. He selected a particular people, namely the Israelites, ancient Israel, to be an example of his care for all humanity to observe. He delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. He fed them, he clothed them, he guided them, he gave them water. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. He provided them with um, culture, with government, and with land. What he showed them was that he then would show them but that by working with him, they could also be pushing again, back against the, the chaos that still remained in the world. And this work included working on two things, justice and mercy. Now, jump into the Gospels, and we see that the Lord, Jesus, is showing us the next piece in the puzzle, which is humility. This is what it says in Philippians um, uh, 2, 5 through 8, which is on the screen. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was born in the form of God, or he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant 
and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, I believe that you really cannot understand humility without first grasping justice and mercy. Knowing justice and mercy is to see the inequity between the powerful and the powerless. Like my illustration, I was powerful when it came to plumbing. Janice, not so. There's, but, but being able to see that should have allowed me to say, okay, I need to communicate at the level that she understands if I want to communicate what I need to have done. See, humility means to be brought down, <clears throat> to become powerless. That's in order, that, that's, well, that's the or, order of the story that I see unfolding in the Bible. And, of course, this is what Jesus did when he came. Now, we see in the Philippians passage that Jesus was humble and obedient to earthly authorities that tortured and murdered him. Now, following his death, <clears throat> he rose out of the grave, which means he was alive again to resume his work in pushing back the chaos that is still rampant in humanity. And he is again, even today, asking us now to join him with the Holy Spirit in doing this work. This is what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. This is how we see, <clears throat> this is, we see how this works out in the book of Acts and in the New Testament letters. <clears throat> see, he pushes back the chaos in humanity by first pushing back the inner chaos that's in each, each of us individually. And as that begins to happen, we can then join with him and with his church in pushing back the chaos in the lives of others around us. As the church does this, well, we call this evangelism. As the church does this, we can also demonstrate justice and mercy to the world, to the chaotic world around us, and perhaps make the world a little less dark. See, he's still doing this work. Um, check out Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are the result of God's work in creation. Today, the works, the tasks, the jobs, the responsibilities that we have been, that we, that have been prepared for us long before, we were born. It was all done originally. These works are given to us now so that we can simply just choose to do them. In other words, when God created the world, he also created specific jobs for specific individuals. And when we were born, we were given the abilities to do those things. As we walk through life, the Lord gives us the opportunities to do those works. He's simply waiting for us to enthusiastically work with him. And finally, when we get to the end of the Bible, the book of, book of Revelation, we see that chaos and those that love chaos are pushed into the final position. It's a place called hell. The universe is now, at this point, fully restored, and humans can flourish and be with Jesus forever on a new earth. Again, 
Pushing back the chaos, a term I use, applies not only to paid work, but to volunteer work, domestic work, family work. It applies if we are at the job, at home, at leisure, on vacation, hanging out with friends, <laughs> driving, <laughs> cleaning the dishes, washing the dog, etc. We see this from, Ephesians, from Colossians 3.17, we also see it in Ephesians 6, 5, and we see it in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. See, this is, a, this, is a, this is a theme within the New Testament and within the Bible. The instruction here is about, in Colossians, is how we are to operate our lives during every minute of the day. Ask yourself, how would I work differently if I could actually see Jesus next to me, working with me in everything I did? Well, I would work differently if I actually saw him. So, okay, so now let's get into the text. Verse 22. <clears throat> the first word here is problematic. The word for, for bondservants is sometimes translated servant or slave. Now, because of what we did in America in the 18th and 19th centuries, to Africans and African-Americans, slave and slavery means something very ugly. In this, now in the ancient world, uh, at this time, at the time of the New Testament, there was some of this that went on. But there were also several different expressions of servanthood and slavery that were sanctioned by Rome and by the Greek city-states. It is understood that the Colossian experience with the slaves was different from ours as Americans. Here's a, here's a translation note that, um, that you find in the English Standard Version Bible, which is the version I'm, I'm using today, and it reads this way. In the New Testament, the Greek word doulos is often best described as a bondservant that is, someone in the Roman Empire officially bound under contract to serve his master for seven years. When the contract expired, the person was freed, was given the wages that had been saved by the master, and officially declared a free person. Now, the, LS, the, the English Standard Version uses this. What they're seeking to do is express the more fitting nuance of the meaning in each context. And from what we know about Colossae, the bond servants that were written to here were serving under that sort of seven-year contract that they had agreed to willingly. Uh, however, even in this context, there could be abuse of bond servants by their masters. Uh, this could include sexual harassment or other forms of abuse. Masters were considered by the Roman culture to be absolute rulers within the household. And the servant did not always have the option of quitting when things got bad, which we do today if you're working for, for an employer. Now, verse 22 goes on to say, upon servants, obey your masters, obey in everything those who are your er earthly masters. In everything. Now, I do not believe that this means we are obligated to obey an order that violates 
Bible or conscience. Now, there's a lot of abuse of authority that happens in the working world, to be sure, both in the paid world and in the volunteer work world. And there's abuse of authority that even happens in churches, sad to say. Abuse of authority, um, <coughs> excuse me, it is even more important now that we live by the principle that is found here that the Lord is our boss. Our first responsibility is to know him, to please him, and to follow or obey him. Putting Jesus first in your work may cause a conflict. It may cause conflict with your boss or your, or your fellow employees. It may generate some abuse. It could even get you fired. But if we are, for, in fact, working for the Lord, we are, not, we are not obligated by the Lord to do a task that would displease the Lord. We're pleasing Him. He's the boss. And our Lord Jesus is also the boss and the Lord over your bosses and masters at work. And He's also the Lord over our careers, the work that we do. See, as believers, we need to be prepared for difficult work situations. We need, um, you know, in most cases we're working for, when you work for a boss, you're not working for a loving parent. The boss is thinking about getting the job done. And so we need to know our Bibles. We need to know how to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to confess sins that we have so that we have our consciences clear. We need to expose our hearts to a trusted community of believers in order just to hear the Bible and wise biblical advice. See, with a clear conscience and wise advice, you can rely on the Holy Spirit to guide you about issues arising at work that the Bible might not speak directly to. The Bible doesn't tell you that you got to work five hours overtime every day for the next six months, unpaid. It just doesn't address that. You have to address that out of your knowledge of, of not only the knowledge of the Bible, but just your conscience and, um, and through the Holy Spirit. So these are the prerequisites we need before we, have, before we enter today's workspace, which is competitive, sometimes hostile, and sometimes even brutal. Okay, verse 23. Our work is to be done in sincerity of heart, fear of the Lord, and heartily. Sincerity means you give your true self generously to the task. Fear of the Lord is not fear of punishment, but rather reverence and gratefulness that the Lord has considered you worthy of the task you are doing. Heartily means literally out of your soul. We are to express our work fully with our minds, with our will, and with our passions. Now this obviously includes, includes our attitudes about our work. Your work opportunity, your work is an opportunity to put off things like laziness and bad attitudes and put on Christ in hard work and enthusiasm. You know, that can be hard. Verse 24, 
God rewards us for what we do. Now let me be clear about reward. Reward is not payment for services rendered. Reward is not compensation for work done. This is not based on our merit or our performance as if it was something we generated. We do not have, we, we do not obligate the Lord to pay or reimburse us because he now owes us for our work. This is because the time, talent, energy, and opportunity to use, that we use to perform a job or work, all that was given to us originally by the Lord. By working with our whole hearts, we are simply giving back something that the Lord already gave us. Work and the resources to do the work were never ours to begin with. His rewards, he rewards because he is being faithful to his promises, not to our performance. Verse 25. So this is a warning. And I'm a little bit, there's several ways to go on this. My best guess as to why this warning is here is so that the oppressed bondservant is comforted that God will bring justice to an abusive master. Also, if you are treated unfairly, while a fellow employee is rewarded who happens to be undeserving, maybe they get the raise that you deserve because they took credit for the work that you did, you can look forward to fairness someday, definitely at the last judgment. This verse also helps us understand that the best rewards are not always received in this life, but in the next life. And then verse four, or chapter four, verse one, the last verse in this section directs bosses and managers, or masters, not to take advantage of their earthly authority because God is their master. Bosses are to treat their workers with justice and equality. Now, fairness is the word used there, but it can be translated equality. Justice and equality. Are those not two words that we hear in the news a lot these days? See, this is out there. Remember the words justice and mercy from the Old Testament? There's a link there. See, if you step back a little bit and look at this, and this was, this was shown to me, I didn't dig this up on my own, but somebody pointed out to me that, that this passage, this particular passage, gives much more text to the worker or bondservant as opposed to the boss or master. This is three times as much verbiage to the, to the one in the low power position compared to the one in the high power position. The bondservant is told, work out of the soul, work with sincerity of heart. The Lord is a true master. They will be rewarded in heaven. And those servants that do what is wrong, they'll be paid back. Just contrast that instruction to the brief, almost terse note to the bosses and masters to treat your servants with justice and fairness. It is the servants that are getting more grace in the form of words from the Lord, gospel words. It is the workers that are encouraged to live out the gospel. 
in many cases at personal cost. It is the lowly in the workplace that have the opportunity to emulate the beauty of Jesus as a humble servant. In this way, we are working with God to push back the chaos of corrupted work. This giving of grace to those who are powerless is consistent with Jesus' teaching about the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Yes, in today's world, if you work heartily for Jesus and maybe have to say no to some things, you may be persecuted because that is righteousness. And um, the powerful in this text, masters and bosses, or masters, or we would call them bosses, are simply told to seek justice and fairness. See, this fits the pattern that I noted earlier in the grand sweep of the Bible. That is, put on justice and mercy first, and then you will learn humility. See, there's this kind of a power structure in the world. And if you happen to be the powerful, you need to understand that difference. And justice and mercy can help you see that. And then once you see that, then humility, you don't understand what, what, what has to be lost if you take on the position of humility. So understand justice and mercy or fairness first, then you understand humility. This also fits in the theme found in the Bible we call suffering. When we suffer, we can discover the voice of God is clearer in those circumstances. We can see his beauty that is uncluttered by our attraction to earthly pleasures. Now, one question I wrestled with when I was going through this, um, how can a loving God expect someone that he put under an abusive master to work with their whole heart? Well, I can't answer that question. My experience at work, <clears throat> I'm a professionally trained white male working in a Fortune 500 company, the Boeing company. I'm now retired, but so I can't relate to a woman facing sexual harassment. I really can't relate to a minority facing discrimination in the workplace. It was not my experience. But if we think of this in terms of suffering, suffering for the gospel, I can relate to suffering. So I'm going to explain something that's a little bit different, but I think it points to the same thing. Um, Nine months ago, my wife passed away. And so <clears throat> I suffered, and still do, emotional grief and loss from that event. The question I've had to wrestle with, how can a loving God take from me a loving wife? Well, 
And what do I do when I open my Bible and it says, similar type passage, rejoice in all things, give thankfulness in every circumstance? I can't always do that now. But I can offer this. Um, I'm going to have Glenn, if you're available, I'm going to have him come up and read Philippians 3, 8 to 10. Now the reason I'm going to have him do that is because as I studied this verse and rehearsed it, I could not read it aloud without breaking down. So, and then when he gets done, I'm going to explain what, what that is. You're assuming I can. Yeah. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Don't think there's any more there. No, yeah. that's it. Thank you. <clears throat> what suffering does is it temporarily breaks our fixation on the pleasures and the rewards of this world, temporarily. It, it lays bare your soul and exposed. And so, in my experience, when you look there in that place, what I see is Christ in me. Because I kept asking this question, this God that took my wife, why do I still read my Bible? Why do I still pray? Why do I still come to church? Why do I still serve? And the answer I come up with is that's Christ in me. And that's a great comfort because I am getting that glimpse, momentary glimpse of a reward. I know a little bit better now of what that is going to be like after I'm gone, after I'm resurrected, after Judgment Day. I get to see a little of that. <clears throat> that privilege helps with suffering. Now I offer that because you know there are some that definitely suffer at the workplace as I mentioned. But there's a great encouragement. There is a reward. So let me pray for us. And we'll conclude. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you for what your word reveals. And today I just ask that, what is, that <clears throat> you would use that to speak into our hearts. And just help us to walk 
closer today with you as a result of what your word says. In Christ's name, amen.